Have you ever asked yourself if terms such as general truth or universal knowledge make any sense? Whose history are we learning at school? And how much of human knowledge are we missing? Why are the voices of a vast part of the world silenced? Or at best, remembered in wars, natural disaster, or in a postcard as an object of exoticism? How does the world look like from the so-called peripheries? Voices from the Peripheries is a podcast about decolonizing knowledge and mind. My name is Emira Ben Ali. I am from Tunisia and I have been working in European universities for the last 10 years. Like many of you, I aspire to contribute to the social justice and equality efforts. In this podcast, I will invite scholars, students and activists worldwide to discuss topics such as cultural dominance, decolonial feminism, food sovereignty, Islamophobia, and the genius knowledge, among other topics. If, like me, you feel angry when you look at your school curriculum, if you believe that we have a lot to learn from minorities and people in the peripheries, then this podcast is for you. Hi, Donna. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm super happy to have you today in this uh, podcast. Um, I think the first time I met you was in uh, CTS 2017, the Critical Tourism Studies Conference. You have been the um, keynotes, you have been, you have been talking about gender and class, and I remember I was like, ah. I know that at that time you didn't know me, but I was you know, listening to you, and I think I even took a photo of you with gender and class, and I was so excited and happy that you know people like you exist <laughs> coming okay, from you know you. another setting yeah I, i remember this it was really i was so you know happy um and feeling that okay there are some people there that speak this language and it's like mm. it's not only me or only mm. my thoughts so it was really lovely um so donna you are a professor of tourism at the university of sunderland in the uk Mm -hmm. uh, your work focuses on the representation of women and race in the context of tourism. Uh, recently, like one year ago, I think you established an interdisciplinary research network at your university, which looks at mm -hmm. issues of race, class, and ethnicity, right? Yeah. And you have done a lot of works on intersectionality and uh, culture and stuff like that. So um, how you define yourself? Yeah, so let me say first of all that thank you so much for um, those really kind words. I can't believe that it was, what was it, four years ago, 2017? It seems like it was ages ago, so it was really nice to have met you at that conference. And um, it's been great to keep in touch since then as well. So thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Um, so yeah, so you're asking me how I define myself. And I think that each of us are really complex, right? So we have these sort of complex identities that sort of exist within us all at the same time. So when I was thinking about this question, how do I define myself? I thought about it in terms of different aspects. Um, so there's a kind of definition in terms of a social and cultural um, identity that I have. Um, then I have this kind of, um, what I would say, a sort of ethnic and, and racial identity. 
on a political identity. And then I also have like a professional um, identity. So, you know, all of these things are sort of going, you know, adding to this kind of complexity and this kind of um, melting pot of different identities. But if I was to talk about, you know, what, which of those identities I think are sort of prominent and I would say, okay, this is who I am. Um, I would say that my sort of um, sociocultural and ethnic and racial identities are really important for me. So being a woman is really important to me in terms of that kind of gender identification and also um, being a black woman as well, a black woman who has African ancestry and is from the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So those two things, I think, are really those two identities, I think, are really important in terms of who I am. And that runs through, I think, all of the other identities as well that come to the fore at different points in time. So because of where I'm from, then my politics is reflected in that as well, right? And yeah. my professional identity is very much caught up in that too mm -hmm. um, because of who I see myself as professionally and what I do as a profession. So I think that's a rather sort of long-winded way to answer, um, you know, how do I define myself? So, yeah, I think that, that those, those are really important um, things for me. And yeah. as you said, this is also very much translated in the type of research you're doing, of race and gender, yeah. and with this uh, yeah, intersectionality, and also what you have been establishing also as networks and yeah, yeah. people with whom you are also doing research and what you're trying to do with the classroom. So how, how, um, how do you feel this kind of being you, as you defined yourself, shaped your experience and shaped your... Um, experience at university and also how you translate it, you know, into action? Yeah, so I think that I've always sort of, uh, if I think about thinking about my life and, and sort of my research and my education, I think I've always been interested in this kind of colonial situation because Jamaica was obviously a colony. Mm. Um, 1655, we all learned it as, you know, in history at school. 1655, Jamaica um, was taken over by the British. Mm. Um, 1494, it was discovered in inverted commas um, by Christopher Columbus. Mm. And, you know, so we've always been aware of the fact that we were sort of transported people from Africa. We were always aware of the colonial relationship. I think because of the family that I grew up in as well, that was very sort of, my brother is, is very much Afrocentric. Um, my mother, um, she was very much um, into the Black Power movement coming up from the United States. Um, I remember she was one of the, I think she was one of the first women to start going on Afro, you know, she, she was really very strong in that sense. So I think the way that I am is very much influenced by all of that from growing up and then going to university. Um, I went to university. I'm not even going to say what year because then that just makes me <laughs> really dated. But at the time when I went to university, there was a, a, a socialism was very much sort of in thing. Um, at university, like everybody thought they were socialists, you know, fighting for justice and, you know, all sorts of equality issues. So mm -hmm. I think that I've always been interested in these sorts of things and very much interested in the Caribbean being much more integrated because 
um, I felt I was very much into a federation of the, the West Indies, what we used to call the West Indies back in the day, uh, but the Caribbean coming together because we were small post-colonial countries and I thought that we could be stronger together. So I was really disappointed when the sort of federation didn't work out. Um, mm. There's still a Caribbean community. So when I did my first master's degree, actually, I did it on the Caribbean community because I was very interested in looking at how can we, do we actually feel that we are Caribbean people um, in the Caribbean? That was what my first master's was on. So I've all, I realized, you know, that I've always been doing these things. Um, so the whole, you know, the, the, the whole issue of post-colonialism, the whole issue of having our own voices and being heard, it has flowed through um, sort of my entire life, you know, looking back at it. Not consciously, I didn't yeah. even realize it yeah. until I had to reflect on it that conscious, you know, unsubconsciously, this was what I was actually doing. Mm. So when I, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole trajectory because we don't have enough time for me to go through all of the details of that. But, so this is what has influenced my thinking. And my thinking has actually evolved Mm. um, because I think I started out looking at sort of post-colonialism and then it sort of evolved into decolonization, which I think is, is, is a much more um, radical approach yes. than post-colonialism. Yeah. So yeah, I was very much immersed in post-colonial thinking until I encountered decolonization. And I thought, yes, 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 this is, this is the sort of thing. So in terms of putting it into action, this is why I actually started the network, the research network that I started, because I wanted to do something more and, um, you know, to sort of push that agenda forward. Mm. My teaching as well, I'm very much into the decolonization of education, which has become more of a struggle now, and we can probably discuss yeah, why yeah, that yeah. has become more of a struggle. Um, so this is what I try to do. I try to do that in terms of my participation in union activities, because I'm very much involved in trade union activities as well. Okay. And that is another strand of pushing for social justice and equality. So these are the things that I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm not sort of like, you know, I don't think I can make this kind of big... No, that you can do. We, we need all yeah. of to, to put our, you know, stone yes, and contribution, I'm, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I'm trying to make contributions and be active in all those different areas. Mm. I have to admit that it's very exhausting. Mm. You know, it, it, it's really exhausting and sometimes you just feel like... I know. I'm just, I just, I just want to give up. I just want to sleep. Just get, just can I just sleep for a minute? You know, I just need some rest. Mm-hmm. And you get exhausted, and you think every every time you want to get involved in all these conversations, but you just can't. You just can't do everything. So you know, you're just trying to do as much as you can with the resources that you have, and mm. you know, it's very important to have that support as well, and I think that's really, really crucial. Yeah, I heard one of your interviews, and you talked a lot about this idea of support, and you said that, you know, back then also you, you didn't have any support, you didn't know how to do it, or how to, yeah. and then this is what you're trying also to do, it's like to build a community and to provide also support, both for academics, but also students that are interested and want to get emancipated from all this. Oppression, right? Yeah, and I think it's it's really hard. Um, you have to have the support. Um, I think that is really vital, and you have to be in a in a in a space and an environment that is supportive. And I think that when I came to the university that I'm at now, um, I think I found more support and more space to do what I want to do. But it's still 
it's still very hard because you have a lot of people who don't want to what we would say push their heads above the parapet mm, right because yeah. they're afraid of recrimination they're afraid of what it will do to their careers and I have to say being a professor allows you a little bit more flexibility because I was you going to say any, this you know yeah I, don't, yeah I don't really have anywhere else that I want to go in mm. terms of my professional mm. life in terms of getting promoted so I think that probably allows you a bit more freedom to speak and not care. Yeah. So I understand when other people feel that, okay, I can't do this or I can't do that because it's going to affect my promotion, it's going to affect, I don't want to put my head above the parapet. And I think that that is really challenging, is about finding people who are willing to make the sacrifice and to do stuff that will perhaps affect their careers and I think that that is really really difficult because at the end of it sometimes you find that you're standing alone <laughs> and you know, time, you're doing, right? yeah. Yeah, you're doing yeah. everything and you're not getting you know as much as you would like and that's where it becomes exhausting <laughs> It is exhausting, and I think to 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 be where you are today has been like a long journey of fighting and yeah. struggling and being courageous and maybe losing a lot of opportunities and friends and I don't know. I mean, it's I don't think it's it's. I mean, now we are more or less in a better environment. I would say at least today we are able to have this type of podcast. Someone like me is able to teach at Denmark. Uh, you know mm-hmm. when. But I, I, I mean, I guess even five years ago, it was when I was in my PhD, it was just impossible. And, and before, I mean, I guess even like, just hopefully it's evolving, but also you need, I mean, you need to be sometimes in a power, power position that you have been fighting for it for a long time and really deserve it maybe 10 years ago um, to be able also to allow this space and to talk and to, you know, to... Yeah, I think it takes, you know, for, for the support, I think it takes a lot of courage. Mm. And um, and I think a lot of people are not as courageous, right, as mm. you would hope. Mm. And it's not, it's not a criticism, it's just a fact, right, that not everybody has the courage and the sort of um, strength in terms of their convictions to sort of move, you know, sort of move the dial and try to put themselves forward. So that, I think, is, is, is pretty challenging. And, um, well, you know, I understand people have their own, their own issues, their own families, their own situations um, to deal with. So, you know, it, 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 is, it is a struggle, and it, it will continue to be a struggle, I think. But I think that, you know, I think we're sort of unexpectedly the, the unfortunate and really horrendous death a murder of George Floyd last year has actually moved the dial quite a bit, I think. Yeah. Um, where even if they're not actively doing anything, a lot of institutions have actually expressed their support for the anti-racism struggles and so on. Mm. There is still a lot to do in terms of action mm. um, that backs yeah. up those words. Um, but I think it has done quite a lot in terms of people actually rethinking and mm. revising and reflecting on, you know, the, the sort of social justice issues that race, ethnicity, all of these issues have actually brought up since that murder that took place last year. Yeah, yeah. I think at least there is a, a little bit of a shift between the complete denial of racism to a kind of recognition and institutional also recognition that could provide like an environment so people could act and translate these words to 
into real action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the first step is there in terms of recognition and, you know, being supportive is about how far are institutions willing to go, right, and how much they, they want to be transformative rather than just um, additive, you know, rather than just incremental and just tinkering around the edges. Mm. It, and again, institution, a lot of institutions don't have the courage to do it either. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's about whether transformational change is actually going to happen or whether it's just going to be this kind of incremental, additional thing that just gets lost after, you know, it's kind of like newspaper reporting. Mm. After nine days in the, in the press, it, it falls off, you know. Mm. Mm. And I actually am feeling that it is falling off at the moment, really, um, because of a number of factors, but yeah, we probably... But also all the that. hostile yeah, environment and at universities. Yeah, yeah the hostile. In the yeah, UK, I in France, and also in Denmark, we have seen, like, especially for business school, like to stop this curriculum management uh, also agenda. And yeah. Yeah, because I see it as a sort of the usual backlash. I mean, it's happened throughout history. You know, when the powerful see mm. their power ebbing away from them, then they start the backlash. And I think this whole thing about, you know, I was so incensed yesterday when I was listening to, because um, I listen to, you know, everybody listens to the news and you, you want to hear what's going on out there. And I heard one of our former ministers of government, who is still a member of parliament, and I actually wrote it down. He said, um, critical race theory is an existential threat to the future of his children. I was like, what? <laughs> You know, and I, I just thought this is so. That, that, so what is happening now is that there is this kind of, um, I would say, either lack of understanding. It's either a lack of understanding of what critical race theory is and what decolonization actually means. It's either that, or people are being disingenuous and people are trying to demonize and vilify what critical race theory is and decolonization to push their own agendas and to maintain their power structures. And I would think it's a latter that they are trying to maintain their power structures and deliberately pushing a narrative that is not what critical race theory is about and it's not what decolonization is about because what they want to do is to stir up this kind of fear of this loss of power, loss of, of the, the dominance, mm. the, the hegemony of whiteness. And that is what is, is the fear that is driving that narrative. Mm. And that is why it is becoming increasingly difficult in our institutions, right? Mm. Nobody wants to talk, oh, we're not decolonizing the curriculum. What we're doing is making an inclusive curriculum. Yes. <laughs> yes. So they don't want to, to utter the word decolonization anymore, right? They mm. want to say, okay, what we're doing is having an inclusive curriculum, you know, and because I've had this discussion just recently at my university, because mm. I kind of tried to set up this decolonization group in my university, and it's kind of like, okay, well, decolonization is just, it, it's actually an exclusive term, because all you're talking about is race, and I said, well, actually, no, <laughs> you know, it, it's a much wider agenda, but they don't want to see that, right, and they want to dismiss decolonization as a concept, mm. and say, yeah, we, are, we support you, but we want to talk about the inclusive curriculum, yeah, you know? always. Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, incredible. I mean, every time, even when I'm presenting something and I'm saying, okay, this is what I'm trying to do in this, with this paper is to contribute to, to the decolonizing. And the decolonizing, why? What? 
uh, you know, these type of um, questions that, you know, like, it doesn't mean anything. You already talked about post-colonialism. Why do you want to talk, you know, or you already talked about feminism. Why are you, you want to add this extra concept or, or you know, this type, or are you going to do this podcast, but um, to decolonize them before we have to, you know, it's like with sexism, right? We have to define what is, you know, decolonization oh, oh. and what is, uh, you know, sexual harassment and what is, you know, it's like constantly doubting also and making you doubt and what you are, you know, trying to yeah, to, to fight that's kind of like what, what they call the, the gaslighting, yeah. isn't it? Making you sort of sort of think, okay, what I'm doing is is not really making you think that what you're doing doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, that that's what's going on, and I think while the sort of decolonization emerged from this kind of colonial um, situation between you know the Euro Anglocentric power, you know the sort of stranglehold of power that it has over knowledge, over our mentality, over mm -hmm. everything. You know, it's, it's about knowledge and how knowledge is created and about the dominance of a particular kind of knowledge, which was put forward as universal when it was actually local, localized knowledge, right? Yeah, that was absolutely. put forward as universal knowledge. And what decolonization is saying, well, actually, this is not the only truth, right? There are other, other knowledge systems out there. There are other understandings. There are other... Um, and, and it was about how, you know, the Euro and Anglo-centric knowledge actually dispossessed yes. and demeaned and demoralized and oppressed hmm. not just um, people that were um, from the global south, but their knowledge systems around the environment, around ecology, around relationships between humans and non-humans. Right around the relationships around gender, the relationship to do with sexuality, all of these things were colonized, right, by this whole process of um, colonization. Because colonization wasn't just about taking over land and yeah. territory; mm. it was about the mind, right? It yeah. was about oppression in every aspect. And I think that when when you know it, it's going back to using this term that Chimamanda Adichie actually used about the danger of telling a single story. Mm. And that was what was happening. There was a single story that was being told. And what decolonization is saying, well, it's not a single story, right? There mm. are multiple stories, and particularly we want to bring to the fore the stories that have been oppressed, that have not been told, that have been delegitimized. So for me, decolonization, and people are now talking about, you know, the kind of backlash talking about decolonization is even saying it's racist and it's exclusive it's exclusionary right mm -hmm. this is the, this is a kind of they're turning it on its head yeah to say what it is not you know this is what they're trying to do to say that it's racist because we're talking about erasing eurocentric knowledge i don't what he's talking about erasing it yeah people are saying that what we actually to me it's a more democratic process yeah. decolonization is more democratic it's not exclusive it's actually more inclusive you know as the decolonial scholars are saying it's about pluriversality it's you know that is what it's about multiple voices and legitimizing multiple voices so I'm quite i, I honestly get so passionate about this when i just hear people talking such um, false and inaccurate yeah. statements about what decolonization actually is about. It's about opening up, not closing down. Mm. But of course it's written also, I mean, especially in university, where is the place of maintaining and sustaining dominance and, you know, colonization and, you know, reproducing and uh, 
transferring the same white knowledge and you know I think it's really and and this is what you know it's, it's actually I think quite interesting place to be a scholar in I mean the scholar but also in business school where is you know both these places are the place where this dominance is sustained and reproduced and translated and and it's it's you know it's it's to be in but fighting from within <laughs> I don't know what yeah. you know, how do you feel like you know being in this I think it's very difficult because one of the things also is when you talk about decolonization, um, business schools don't think it's relevant to them. They think it's relevant to history departments. They think it's relevant to English literature departments. You know, they don't think it's relevant for business. And you say, well, actually, yeah, it's relevant for business because when you look at, you know, all of these different um, business systems, business practices and so on, you know, they have been um, colonized. You know, who knows anything about any other strategy you know you read all of this about strategy and you know all these usual people um you know michael porter and you read about you know all of these different strategic thinkers yeah. and you think well actually most of them are white men i mean no women hardly i can't even off the top of my head think of any woman that yeah. we've actually yeah. taught yeah. i was actually at a presentation at a um professorial um you know, professorial lecture when mm. somebody just becomes a professor and mm -hmm. they do their inaugural, yeah, their inaugural professorial lecture of, of one of the men in my university. And um, they were presenting all the, the top scholars in business. And the, they put the pictures up and I sat and I looked at those pictures and I was like, oh my God, there are absolutely no women there. Nobody who is not right there. They were all white men. And I thought to myself, this is what we're talking about. Mm. Right? And this was in business. Of course. Yeah. You know, and I think about all of those things that I learned in business. And all of them came from, you know, the sort of Western business models. Um, all of them white men who were the writers and authors. And I thought to myself, oh, I didn't question it at the time because it was not when I was learning these things. Yeah, yeah. And on reflection, you realize that, boy, you know, where has this taken you in terms of business actually taken us not very far? And we can see what yeah. is happening, right? The funny thing is when you, I mean, once I, I was in my course, I was, I think I bring uh, this um, example from BGS movement as a, you know, a boycott movement. And then I had a big... Uh, then the, some students complain, and I had really, and then the, you know, course coordinator like, uh, oh. yeah, yeah, it was like a big, big, big something, you know, just because I gave the example, it was a sustainable course, I think, the con sustainable consumption course, and I was talking, you know, about how consumers express their belief and their values, and you know, through maybe sustainable consumption, but also anti-consumption, and I gave the one of the biggest movement uh, BDS, and it happened that I had three. A students from exchange student from the US and they were like you are politicizing the course and they were shouting and you know crying and then they complain and then it was like a whole big story and then when I had a meeting with the, with the course coordinator no score the program coordinator he was telling me you know you're politics I, I have seen your slides and you are anti-capitalist and, and he was like you are uh, politicizing the course and I was like is capitalism not politicizing the course I mean teaching students the only way of doing business you know only having profits and is is this for you neutral is this neutrality for you and what I'm doing bringing you know this is also from real life it's not like I'm inventing this 
for him, that was politicizing, and I have to be careful, and it was a poor example, and it was like, you know, um, but then uh, teaching students the only way of doing business <laughs> was for him very natural. And I was, I remember, yeah. so that was one of the motivation to start this podcast, because I was feeling if I'm not able today to speak or to give these examples on the courses, then what, what you know, why I'm doing this job? I would I rather do I something don't. else, you know? Yeah, this is all that. This is another thing that I've noticed is that people are saying, you know, everything is political. Life is political. Yeah. So I don't understand when people are saying, oh, you're politicizing this and you're politicizing that. Everything, life has been political, right? It's just one kind of politics that has been put forward mm -hmm. and what we're trying to open up different ideas and so on. So it is political if you want to look at politics as being about power and about who has authority to speak and who doesn't. That's what politics is with a small p. Not talking about politics in terms of you know, political parties or that sort of thing. But if you're talking, politics is about power, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's about who, you know, going back to my, my sort of memory of doing politics, is about who gets what, when, where, why, and how, right? That is politics. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do in our everyday life. So this kind of thing to talk about, you know, you're politicizing things or you're bringing politics into it. Politics was there already. Politics is in everything. Yeah. that we do, right? So it's about presenting to me, to the students, okay, these are the ideas, these are alternative ideas, leave them to decide what it is that they, which way they want to go, right? But presenting just one thing to them, I think to, is a failure, actually, in our education, in our teaching, if what we're presenting to the students is only one perspective, Right, and as you said, nobody was questioning that one perspective before saying that that it was political, right? Yeah. Because it was always seen as neutral. Because it was it was everything. It was normalized. Yeah. And that was why it was normalized, and that was why it wasn't questioned because it was normalized, not seen that that in itself was political. Yeah, and you know the ironic thing. I, I also had then later a discussion with the HR who was actually very supportive too. But I was like, you 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 want to have a diverse group of scholars. Then you have, if you are inviting scholars from different, you know, corners of the world, then you have to also embrace their way of looking to things and, you know, encourage this. It's not only about me being, you know, a brown Arabic Muslim woman there to have like, a, you know, a number of how, you know, how diverse is your department. But if I'm not able yeah. to bring also my vision and my perspective, then it doesn't, you know, add yeah. anything. If I'm only going to reproduce the same knowledge, then it doesn't bring anything to your institution. So you have to decide whether you really want some a department or university or school that is diverse and inclusive as you use it, or, you know, keep your own people and this will be fine as well, right? So it's, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And as I said, I think we do a disservice to our students um, if we just present this kind of single story no. to them. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's the onus is on us as teachers, as educators to actually, you know, bring the diverse voices to our students, you know, it's their decision in the end, they need to be critical, they need to critically discuss, analyze, and that is what I hope that university education is all about. Hmm. You know, it's, it's not about this kind of normalized way of, of, of looking at things. And, you know, if, if we're not doing that at university, I don't know what university is for. So this brings me to the next question, you know, how do you, how do you see the, 
the future, I mean, of the university and how we can decolonize the university in the future? What kind of actions, you know? Yeah, so I think, you know, there have been, certainly in the UK, there have been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of discussion around decolonizing education, decolonizing the curriculum. So you have, you know, different groups being formed around trying to push that agenda. As I said, I think it's becoming more difficult now, particularly with the, 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 the government that we have um, talking about they don't want universities to teach about white mm. privilege, they don't want universities to teach about critical race theory and decolonization. So um, I think even letters have been sent to universities to yeah. say that they don't want us to do that sort of thing. So I think that we're facing a battle here in terms of pushing that agenda. Um, and it is becoming more difficult, I think. It's like you have to tone down what you're saying. You have to say, okay, what we're looking at is equality, EDI, you know, mm. equality, diversity, mm. and inclusion. And that's much a, a much more what, what seemingly benign thing that the universities can embrace much more comfortably. So if you want to come with some uncomfortable conversations, the university isn't happy with that. The government isn't happy with that. And they're happy to embrace more benign things that they say, yeah, we can support equality, diversity, and inclusion, but don't say the D word, for God's sake. Don't say um, CRT, critical race theory. Just mm. don't come with those kind of radical notions because they're just not accepting those notions at the moment. Mm. So I think that it is a struggle. I think that uh, the more universities um, embrace this kind of... Um, well, certainly a lot of, of, of our universities are also embracing this model where university is about preparing students for employment, right? Mm -hmm. So the skills agenda is becoming even more dominant and, you know, the sort of theoretical, you know, those subjects that are seen to be more theoretical or more... Um, what they would call soft, that don't have a direct... Yeah. Right? Employment yeah. link are being cut out of our universities. We're mm. losing history departments, we're losing English literature departments, we're losing um, language departments, all of these subjects that are considered mistakenly, in my view, um, to not be directly linked to employment are being cut out of the university system and they're only interested now in, okay, we want to do business, we want to do things that directly linked to employment, and I think that's a big mistake. So this is where I'm seeing the universities headed, right, around employability, around skills, and not this kind of critical stuff that we want to do. So I think this decolonization thing is even being pushed more towards the fringes than it was before, even, because nobody thinks that, how, how is this useful for getting a job? Mm -hmm. That's all I hear. How can you get a job with this? What, what is this, you know, without thinking about, okay, what it's doing is raising your critical thinking and your awareness, your knowledge, this is what it's doing, and how can you do, how can you divorce that from employability? Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, in a way we should maybe, I mean, this may make me think that maybe that's why we should also join forces in order to show this more explicitly, you know, I think work, yeah. you, you know, because uh, we cannot like sing alone <laughs> in a way. Uh, we, we, we are always in this struggle, you know, and to find the trade-off and to and make this relevant also, you know, for, for business students yeah. and for employability and for...
I think sometimes, you know, as I said, it's like that, that you, you have to be coaching these in different terms that are more benign and more acceptable. Even though you're, you're trying to do the same thing, yeah. you know, but you're trying to say, okay, because right now, what is really um, universities, well, certainly my university and other universities now are into the sort of sustainable development um, goals, right? So everybody now is seeing how they can have more sustainable curriculum. Mm. And then within the sustainable curriculum, we're talking about decolonization, yeah. right? So yeah. we're trying to get it in through there yeah. rather than necessarily talking about we're doing decolonization. Yeah. So they're much more accepting and supportive. Yeah, let's have a sustainable curriculum. And then you try to push the decolonization in there because you're saying, well, you can't have a sustainable curriculum if you don't decolonize. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's like you're trying to find these ways of pushing in the discussion that is kind of, you know, much more acceptable, put it that way, uh, has a more acceptable face than this kind of uncomfortable. Because remember where we're in, right? We're in Western countries. Yeah, they're yeah not gonna, absolutely. They're not going to they're, they're allow, allow us to come with this radical agenda because they're more than us. We're minorities, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and we do have our, our sort of what we call allies in mm -hmm. sort of white community. Yeah. Um, you know, so we have the allies and we have to have the allies. But still, it, I don't think it's enough to push that power. No agenda it's still not enough so it's like you're trying to find these little ways these little spaces where you can actually push the agenda without being explicit in that way because you just get shut down you don't get the resources you don't get the support and they're more acceptable of sustainability yeah. so now i'm thinking okay yeah i'm part of the sustainable curriculum initiative i'm going to try to do my decolonization through that route right mm -hmm. and you just have to find these spaces that because yeah. otherwise, it's just like you're just fighting a losing battle. Yeah, you will be out. That's the point, and then you will lose this as well. So I, I completely agree with you that, I mean, it's the, it's a type of infra politics in a way that you know you you're, you know that you are the weak, the minority. Then if you want to to you can you, you kind of need to hide it into something that is more acceptable. And then I mean the students are. I mean, there, and you can discuss and talk with them, and, and this is also what I'm always doing, always sustainability, but then, of course, I remind my students that there is three big, you know, things, there is people also, and it's not only yeah. about recycling, you know, plastic bottle, that there are, there's a yeah. lot of to do, yeah. you know, <laughs> in order are to you reach. Are kind of trying to, to sort of align it a bit now to the SDGs, to the sort yeah. of 17 SDGs that are there, because obviously one of them is our own gender equality. Yeah. You know, so when you're talking about gender equality now, you bring in the intersectionality issues, and you talk about black women, and you talk about women from the global south, you know, so you're kind of pushing the agenda through these other, you know, and then the students are not going to be saying, oh, why, why is this relevant? Because you say, well, look, the SDGs, all the countries, you know, all the countries yeah. that are part of UN have signed up to this. We're looking to gender equality. We're looking to end poverty. We're looking to end all of these things. And then you bring the agenda in through those doors. And, you know, that is kind of how you're, you're trying to get the... The, the agenda in there because if you just come and say I'm decolonizing the curriculum and you know they start to talk about you're trying to erase you know white men from the curriculum and da 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 da, da you know all of these sorts of things and um, you know that this is where you meet, you meet the, the blocks yeah hmm? yeah this is where you meet you meet yeah, all yeah, the, yeah. those blockages and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but that's, I mean, this is what we should learn also from each other, you know, how to, this is what I find really amazing because sharing this type of, you know, tactics of how you get there without getting out, <laughs> um, you know, it's also very, yeah, important and supportive. And yeah, this it's, is not, support. it's not like you want, yeah, you're not watering down the message, you're not watering the, it down, you're just pushing it in through a different door. Yeah, and I think, you know, at some point after my PhD, I had the opportunity maybe to change because I, you know, I was in business school and then I get a, a PhD from like, from socioeconomics. So, you know, I could have changed. But then I remember one of this uh, professor I met, he said, you know, you have to be within business school because this is where, I mean, of course, if you're talking to people like you that share the same, that's really fantastic and you are happy and, you know, everything. But if you really want to bring some change or contribute, you know, to transform, then you have to be within business school because these are people, you know, young generation who will be in the future, you know, will be working in international, you know, companies. They are the students who will be voting, you know. So maybe, maybe with this you can, you know, uh, make or contribute to transform. So even if it's hard, but I more and more believe that this is where we should be, you know. To, to at least to hope that something in the future will, will happen, even if it's disguised, even if it's like kind of not explicit, um, I think it's, it's it may bring some change. I hope at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about showing the social business school that social justice issues and sustainability issues are crucial to what we're teaching there, right? And um, you know still talking about decolonization but again as i said bringing it into the narrative of sustainability and saying well if you want knowledge to be sustainable if you want mm. you know or, or, or social justice and all of these issues you can't really business doesn't exist in a vacuum no it exists within society it, it needs to be acknowledged and to understand all of these issues that affect mm. business mm. um so yeah so i think that's really important to to be in there and to be pushing this agenda because if we're not pushing the agenda, I'm telling you, there isn't anybody there that's pushing it. Hmm. It's really, really fantastic to talk to you. I think we can discuss forever. I have only one last question um, I always ask. Um, if you have any book, uh, movie, or you know, podcast, or whatever you want to share, you know, to recommend, Yes, so um, I don't think, if we're talking about decolonization, um, I don't think I cannot um, put forward Linda to Price-Smith, Decolonizing mm -hmm. Methodologies, which mm -hmm. I think was really, really seminal in terms of thinking around indigeneity and around indigenous knowledges. Um, so I think that is a must-read for anybody who is interested in, in, in decolonization. Um, I think all of these um, Latin American scholars that came up with the decolonization, we're talking about, you know, Mignolo, Walter Mignolo, we're talking about Ramon Gosfogwell, we're talking about Gloria Andalusia, we're talking about all of these decolonial scholars that came out of Latin America. So mm. I think you need to read all of those those books around that. Um, my wonderful sort of empress, Audrey Lord, is fantastic, very poetic, very good in terms of her writing. Um, you know, your silence will not protect you. I keep that keeps ringing out in my ears all the time. This kind of feminist warrior, Audrey Lord, have to read her. 
Um, and then, you know, we're talking about fabulous um, listening to podcasts, Chimamanda Adichie, her podcast. Um, fabulous. The one about the single story is really good. Um, the other one about we should all be feminist. Mm. I think those are excellent to just sit down and listen to those podcasts. And I think they're just fantastic ones that I would um, recommend that people read. Um, I also have my fabulous um, warrior from Jamaica, um, who growing up, Louise Bennett Coverley, um, fantastic very good actor, um, poet, you know, great woman who pushed the, 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 us to, to sort of valorize and legitimize our own language. Um, she was just excellent with that. So, you know, I could go on with so many writings and autumn literature and so on that I found really, really good in terms of, you know, forming my whole, you know, knowledge system around decolonization and valorizing and legitimizing knowledges from the global south yeah that's really generous thank you yeah thank you so much it was really nice inspiring and uh, i mean as always it's always nice to see you and to talk to you uh yeah i don't know if you want to add something or yeah i yeah i would just like to say thank you as well for this initiative that you're you're, you're putting out there and i really hope that it's really successful and i really hope that people will take on board some of the things that we're talking about i just want to leave people to say that we have to be courageous yeah. right we have to um find those allies find those um coalitions they don't have to be national they can be international as we are yeah, yeah. right yeah, and yeah. i think if you find those coalitions of people who are um wanting to make this change who are very passionate about these social justice issues i think that's really important so that's what i want to to leave this with is it the sentence you just said like silence won't protect you right yeah, your silence, it won't protect yeah, you, so you might yeah. as well, you, you might as well speak. Mm-hmm. But sitting down silent is not going to help, you're not going to be protected. Mm-hmm. That's not going to stop racism, that's not going to stop, you know, these social injustices, being silent, no. So I think that we just have to speak. Yeah. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Alright, so all the best. Yes, thank you.